0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double Edge double bill. Tonight's features have an unbreakable bond between After Earth's Day and M. Night. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, or am I?
1: Oh, what a twist. I am Adam Thomas, or am I?
0: We're actually both the same person, but who is that person? We don't know. Just so many (laughs) twists. Um, And we do have a third person here, who might be our third personality, I'm not sure. It is uh, makeup artist and film fan, Whitney Colazzo. Whitney, how are you?
2: I'm good, how are you guys?
1: I mean, I was good for half of this.
2: Aww. (laughs) We we aren't quite
0: unbreakable, as you can tell. We wanted you to come on the show, Whitney, and uh, of all the topics M. Night Shyamalan really stuck out to you, which is our topic for the evening, why M. Night Shyamalan?
2: Well, honestly, I haven't watched Unbreakable or After Earth until recently. The Sixth Sense is my favorite. I know it's been a mix of feelings on films like Signs, but I actually enjoyed that too. So, I don't know. I'm here. So I I, I enjoy movies and I just, I'm really passionate about talking about this stuff with other friends and acquaintances. So I appreciate you guys asking me to join.
0: Well, we're glad that you came, and uh, we should talk a bit about them, because uh, we referenced that last time when we picked our two movies. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan has a very rocky career. Most people would say, oh, Sixth Sense was his first movie. He actually started a bit early in smaller films, like Praying with Anger was his first movie, which I haven't seen yet, but it's apparently a very personal story. Um, and then also, by the way, it's a kid dramedy about a kid, like, having to deal with the death of his grandfather. It's the uh, one with Rosie O'Donnell.
1: Oh, well, she's a nun in it?
0: She's a nun. Uh, yeah. And also, I found this out recently. Um, he wrote Stuart Little, the movie where the Michael M- J. Fox is the mouse. With the Jerry Maguire kid? Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: how about that? He wrote that.
0: <laughs> it's just weird. That was the, that was came out the summer before Sixth Sense came out. But, you know, Sixth Sense really put him on the map as a big storyteller and Unbreakable and Signs were, you know, coming in the wake of that still very successful. And then around the village is where we start kind of getting some tenuous arguments about if that kind of, (laughs) that sort of starts the progression downward that you eventually with like laying in the water and happening, Last Airbender, another movie we'll talk about in a bit. (laughs) Um, It's kind of a downward slope, but he seems to be on a bit of an incline after the visit and then uh, Split especially kind of put him bit more back on the mark um and we have glass coming out this week that we're releasing this uh that hasn't come out as we're recording the initial reviews came out they're not especially great but
1: really no (laughs) what (laughs)
0: no no i (laughs) know at the same time because that's the thing is like i've been hurt many times but i always appreciate at least m Knight's one of the few auteur directors that like still get at least a decent budget to do things and even if i don't like what he does which is most of the case. I can sometimes at least respect what he's trying to do, and especially something we'll talk about tonight is I think on a structural level, I think he's a really good sort of story person for, like, mapping out the structure of a story, and a very talented director. It's just I think sometimes when he has to fill in the gaps, it can often feel alien and distant.
1: I I think he's very, very capable of filming. His stories tend to work better when it's really close-knit, you know, maybe a four or five main actor cast, the, or just not a big sprawling epic like he's tried to do. I don't think he really has a handle on how to do films like that, i.e. After Earth or uh, Last Airbender. Just like, you know, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. But that's yeah. mom
0: for mad.
1: Right,
0: right. Would you generally agree with that, Whitney? I know you've just seen our two movies recently, but in terms of his whole career overall?
2: Well, I think most filmmakers kind of go through... I guess what you would say a wave you'll be at a point where you're more creative and then you'll have certain people on your team, on your production team that will kind of help spark some um, interest and motivation really. And maybe he, I don't know, maybe he just had some kind of funk in between. Like, I think, I just think like a lot of filmmakers kind of go through these things.
0: Right. And I mean, it doesn't help also that he kind of, might have been a bit of a victim of, like, the hype that sort of came around him after Sixth Sense. I still remember, right. I think it was, what was it, the U.S., was it Us Weekly or some other magazine where he was, like, on the cover in the right before Science came out It was like, the next Spielberg, M. Night Shyamalan. I think that might have yeah, gone to his head a bit. Did.
1: And maybe he bit into his own image a little bit in the beginning. I don't, I think definitely his failures have humbled him. And it yeah. also kind of
0: became a meme, too, of just, like, to hate on M. Night after a certain point, especially, like, after The Village and Lady in the Water... Just kind of became the popular things. Like, oh man, this guy's a pretentious douchebag, isn't he? It's like, I don't know. I think he's just. Don't not necessarily. Mm-mm. I don't think so either. He's just. I think he works better, especially with like split and recent things. I think giving him a smaller budget and giving him more restrictions, I think, bring out a lot more creativity in him, especially with like a split that showed pretty well.
1: Definitely agree. I, he works better with a smaller scale.
0: Right, and much more intimate character-driven stories, which uh, we'll be talking about that tonight as our good feature is Unbreakable and our bad one is after. Let's get into the good with Unbreakable.
1: Are you ready for the truth? I believe comic book heroes walk the earth. I believe you're one of
0: those individuals. You're just an ordinary man.
3: No, you're not. Why do you keep saying that?
0: All right to be free, David. Does this part won't be like a comic book. Bad is winning. It's time for someone like you. Unbreakable. And uh, this came out November 22nd, 2000. Um, and it was his follow-up to The Sixth Sense, which was nominated for several Academy Awards, revitalizing Bruce Willis's career, and kind of putting horror as well on a prestige level. Um, and then Unbreakable comes out And it got a very mixed reception at the time, I think, because it's interesting. This is, obviously, it's a comic book film in terms of, like, it's a superhero origin story as well as a supervillain origin story. It came out at a time where that was not the norm. Because keep in mind, this is only, like, the November after the first X-Men movie came out. So comic book movies are in their, like,
1: infancy. Yeah, and the marketing for this was kind of off, too. Like... It was definitely the guy who scared you with the Sixth Sense breezing his (laughs) next vision. And you're like, well, you know, it's not that at all. You know, he can do other things. Believe it or not, horror directors can make other films besides horror movies.
0: Right, and even then, The Sixth Sense was much more of, like, a character drama first and a horror movie still at the same time, but it it very much focused on, like, the character relationships. And that's why, like, about, you know, Unbreakable is the fact that it does feel like it's a genuine emotional family drama at the same time that it's this bigger superhero origin story like the superhero stuff it's not huge and flashy there's a lot of trying to work out the kinks it is it's very grounded in a way that is honestly refreshing especially from like a modern standpoint going through like what we're coming up with in avengers and endgame every single characters in the movie it's a lot more refreshing just to be like oh there's like two superpowered people and their peripheral characters around them
1: if anything you know samuel jackson's feeble so i mean I just laid that on you. What do you got now?
0: (laughs) Well, well, I'd like to hear from Whitney because, as you mentioned, this was, I guess, your first time seeing it for the show. Um, What did you think of Unbreakable?
2: Well, it's been on my list. And my fiancé, Jacob, he is a fan of this film. And he's like, you got to watch this. And and we've talked and we've heard so much about Split. I haven't seen it yet. It's been on my list. And I finally said, all right, I'm going to do it. And I want to watch it finally made the time. And, you know, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it. I really like the fact that, like you said, it's not like uh, Marvel or DC. This was just more implied. This was more raw and emotionally driven. You mentioned um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Glass, and it was pretty neat to see, you know, that disability there in a character. Well, growing up, we would hear about heroes that they have imperfections but not to a handicap extent that it would project somehow i don't know i'm just rambling
0: <laughs> so i get what you're talking about because obviously with uh, samuel jackson as elijah um he's a character that has uh osteo imperfecta um osteogenesis imperfecta yeah. which is a real disease actually that apparently certain people do have that disease and what i find so interesting is especially upon this watch and I've heard certain people like recently the Screen Junkies on his trailer for Unbreakable uh, came out and they talked about this too Elijah weirdly feels like sort of a modern gatekeeping geek in a way that's so ahead of its time. You get why he has, like, these sort of impulses to be like a villain, because he was made fun of all the time. He had this disease that kept him away from people. He had no friends, and people just kept calling him Mr. Glass, this pejorative name, and he can't really move around. He retreats into comic books, into fantasy, and that's a great outlet for him to, like, find something. But he took that alcove to be, like, something, to, like, find, like, this escape, an oasis, and he turned it into something he wanted to protect, I love the scene where he um, is displaying all this stuff at his art gallery, limited edition, and he just says, like, oh, you're trying to buy this for a four-year-old? You aren't liking this the way I like it, so I'm not going to give this to you. You don't deserve this. And how he's like, oh, the art here, it's so much more beautiful when it isn't, you know, turned into commercial paper bullshit. And it's like, no, dude, that's, that's what got you into this was the sort of, like, cartoonishness that you end up watching later, that you ended up reading and loving so much. And you're just completely gatekeeping it in a way that it, it's fascinating because he's really a three-dimensional character. And you see why he's such a villain like this and why it would lead to him being literally a domestic terrorist by the time we get to the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, and he, you know, like you said, he, he's not into posers. No, I, I completely agree with you. And Actually, that's a very astute observation. I never really looked at it like that way. He's, he's taken what he fell in love with and then turned it against everybody else. Like, how dare you like it for that? Oh, uh, dude, that's why you liked it. Like you just said, that, that's a very, uh, you know, now I know why I do this show, Thomas. <laughs> For all these <laughs> insightful observations, <laughs> yes.
0: And, and of course, we have to mention that it's an incredibly understated performance of Samuel Jackson, which is so rare. Because obviously we know Samuel Jackson is the guy who yells. He says, "Screams motherfucker at the top of his lungs all the time." <laughs> and I love seeing him so underplayed and so quiet, and it works for him. And this is something that a lot of other M Night movies do: is people tend to be kind of quiet and aloof and awkward. But it works for like him because he is being deliberate. And if he were to fly a handle like a Samuel Jackson, he might literally break his arms,
1: right, or his jaw, or something, yelling. Right. right exactly. Right. <laughs> I will say, though, one of, my, one of my things I really like about this movie is that, yeah, it's a superhero origin story and all that, but I love that he's already in his 40s, he's got a wife, a teenage kid, and now he decides it's time to do the right thing with this gift.
0: Well, and you're referring um, to Bruce Willis, of course, as our main character, David Dunn.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Who I think is also delivers quite a uh, good, understated performance. But yeah, that was one of my favorite parts of this movie to begin with, where it's like, it's... It is a superhero origin story, but it's not in any way a a typical superhero origin story. Like, there's no way that this guy in his mid-40s all of a sudden puts on a cape, you know, and starts patrolling the city. He's going to do what he can to help people when he can.
2: I don't remember the line, but I remember the uh, dynamic and the uh, talk between... Bruce Willis' character and Samuel L. Jackson's character, when Samuel L. Jackson said to him, like, you could have been anything, but you decided to be this security guard and was kind of picking his brain about it. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting just for him to pick his brain about how he came about choosing his life, his career, and all of these scenes.
1: Which works really well because then you figure out, you know, basically he was doing that to use it against him. Right. Which is just makes him such a diabolical piece of shit.
0: Initially, like, oh, this is just like a discussion between a guy who's lived like a very regular life in Bruce Willis and then this eccentric sort of guy that... You know, he wants to keep brushing off like, Oh, you're trying to scam me, you're trying to do something for me, but he's like, No, I'm trying to nurture your natural gifts here. That's what he's presenting. And in terms of like, Oh, I'm no I'm doing that for my own nefarious purposes by the end of the movie. I'm once again it's gatekeeping. It's like, Oh, I like you, but only in this particular way that I'm putting you in the slot to do so. <laughs>
1: now is gatekeeping a term the kids use now like i, I mean all the
0: kids love the No, i've <laughs>
1: never really heard it referred to as that i don't know what you guys in your hip-hop lingo and your zimas and your hoops.
0: that's a term that's basically used for just any time that, like somebody is sort of <sighs> keeping people out of you know sort of like a geek culture perspective Uh-oh. and doing it their uh-huh. own way that's basically what it is
1: again that's why i do this show
2: I learned something new today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what this show's really about. And you can donate to PBS to support this show <laughs> but no. But to keep going with, yeah, I, I really agree. I love that dynamic that's between those two characters. And also with, we should mention more about Bruce Willis, because obviously this is in like the early 2000s. Bruce Willis was at sort of a point where he had kind of grown out of the what we loved about, like, a Die Hard, where it's like, oh, you're, like, a relatable character who we see go through an extraordinary circumstance, and become becomes sort of like, nah, I'm badass, John McClane isn't that anymore, he's just a badass over-the-top character, kind of more like a more sarcastic Arnold Schwarzenegger, honestly, in the 90s. And then with, yeah. like, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, he did such a great job actually showing his real, true, dramatic chops, especially, I think, in Unbreakable. There, there's so many great scenes, like, I love any scene, really, with him and his child, Spencer Treat Clark, who, admittingly, you can kind of tell, like, M. Night's like, hey, I can't get Haley Joel Osment. He's too big now. You're my new Haley Joel.
1: Best scene in the movie is when he passes the newspaper to him. Yes. I. I God, that. that scene wrecks me almost every time. Just because, I mean, the little boy starts crying, you know, he was right the whole time. And you don't see Bruce Willis get choked up, but he has yeah. to be quiet. Oh, my God, it crushes me.
2: Because he cried a little bit too. Mm. That's just child it was just a moment there between them. It was it was really a great father and son kind of thing.
1: Yeah, with virtually no dialogue.
2: Yes, it was perfect. I love when actors can do that. Less is more to me sometimes, and that was perfect.
1: Right. I
0: also really love the scene earlier where um the Spencer Street Clark has the gun and Robin Wright, the wife, is in the room. And that yeah. scene is so perfectly tense in a way that's very grounded and believable and even the way Bruce Willis kind of stumbles over his dialogue at certain points, it's like, do you remember the thing where the kid was drowning in the water? That was me I was sick at one point, so you don't need to do this, and then the perfect construction of the shot where the kid drops the gun, Bruce Willis takes it, and the kid slumps in his chair and Robin Wright starts like falling to the ground and then Bruce Willis falls, and the shot follows them down, I love that that's such oh, a yeah. perfect oh, way of displaying so good just how all of these people in this family have completely broken apart. And I I really like that dynamic, too. It feels really like a family that's breaking apart, especially with Robin Wright, who often gets sidelined when people talk about this movie. Her and Bruce Willis have such great scenes together that display, like, they are a couple that still do have love for each other, but you can tell there's, like, such a distance because there's no communication involved. And especially, just there's a bit where he actually comes up to her and says, when was the last time I was sick? And Robin Wright's reaction, where she's like, oh, they had to have been... Oh, no, wait, yeah, it's been a while. I can't even remember it. That's a very natural moment. And I think that's something that's been missing from a lot of M. Night movies, is small, natural moments like that.
1: Yeah, and he really pulled that romance card out on her, didn't he? Taking her up the stairs. <laughs> that was like... that. Oh, man. No, it's, <laughs> no, I agree with you. And the thing is, this was around the time where Robin Wright really was kind of getting ignored, period. Like, I would say this almost kind of jump-started her back. And uh, I think she's great in it. I think she gives a perfect, you know, again, understated performance, this movie's full of them, but she does feel like a broken woman for in a way, like emotionally, where, she, she, you know, she's got this husband who really isn't there anymore for a period in any way, and this kid who's falling apart. And you can just read it on her face. She's doing everything she can to keep the family together, but, well, I mean, at one point, what can you do?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Also, I, I kind of thought maybe she was just... Um... You know, being the mother trying to be protective, you know, of her own kid and everything, especially when it came to the subject of football. So, her not wanting him to play and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's another great scene where um, she's a physical therapist and Samuel Jackson comes under the guise of, like, oh no, I'm trying to heal back from this
1: fall, which, by the way, that fall's brutal.
0: That fall yeah. down the stairs? Oh, you feel every bit when he, like, fucking hits the ground. It's harsh.
1: Like his elbows are clipping the stairs? You're like, yep. oh, <laughs> no. Because <laughs> my ass fell down the stairs, the same thing would happen to me. But oh. I don't have this disease. I mean, it looks so painful, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he's he's got the cane, and the cane is slipping, and his feet are slipping on each stair the whole time you're like oh no this is gonna be bad <laughs> this will not
0: go well no and, well, and, and...
1: because m night Shyamalan had to run away <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that wasn't m night Shyamalan. that was oh, the guy who well, had the gun just
1: the dude in line yeah I no really
0: m Knight was the guy who gets uh, profiled which i will also say probably the most natural m night Shyamalan performance too in that one moment when he's getting checked out he feels like a guy who's been checked before and he's like man i just got here <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I'll fucking do this. I, I I I like that a little bit. But anyway, what I was saying was like after the he comes down the stairs and then he meets up with Robin Wright as a physical therapist, and the fact that he lets it slip about just like oh so uh, why did David quit doing football? Who said my husband was David?
2: That was that was a creepy moment.
0: Yeah, and it's also presented mostly in like sort of a one shot because they they start with like a two shot of them together and then slowly turn to like a close up of Robin Wright. And there's so many like I think this has so many of my favorite M Night shots in general, just in terms of, like, a filmmaking level. Like, probably my favorite M. Night shot in any of his movies is the bit where young Elijah opens up the present, and it's the comic book, and it's upside down, and then he turns it as the camera does, like, a 360 until we get, like, the upright shot of the comic. I love that shot. It's just a perfect way of showing off this character who's confused by this gift, and then once he achieves the right perspective on it, it just, everything clicks together. I think that's a great visual way of telling the story of, like, this kid finding an outlet.
1: Yeah, and Charlene Woodard is fantastic as his mother too. You feel so bad for her in certain scenes, like she's just. But hey, man, she was a champ. She, she. I mean, she kept it together. Now, is she in the new one? I think she is. I think I saw her in the preview.
0: Yes, she is his mom, which is really interesting considering she's apparently three years younger than Samuel Jackson. And you can kind of tell they made her up a bit more, like, in the ending bit where she's gray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, like, it works with the flashbacks, like, it'll be very curious now that it's, like, okay, so they're, like, roughly the same
1: age. Right. So, old would she? Huh. Because at the end of this one, and this is, I think it takes place in real time, like, Glass takes place 18 years later. So that means she's got to be, like, 90 in that movie. Oh
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a bit confusing. But, yeah, I agree. Especially even in the opening flashback bit. I, I think that that's a great example where, like, she's just giving birth in a department store and, and she just doesn't even notice that there's anything wrong until the doctor comes in and notices that both the kids' arms are broken.
1: Oh, I can't even imagine how, how terrifying. Like I said, you feel bad for her, dude. But, I mean, she, again, she's a trooper. She kept it together. She made sure to, you know, not treat him any different and just tried to relate to him on any level, hence comic books, which might be the worst thing she could have possibly done, But <laughs> given what happens. But still, I mean, hey, she tried. A for her effort.
0: Speaking of the comic book angles of it, uh, we haven't really talked about the sort of sequences where Bruce Willis actually uses his powers. I think that's mm-hmm. another great example I really love about sort of A. Night Shyamalan's techniques in terms of he's in that crowded room and he just opens up his arms. And by the way, the James Newton Howard theme. It's very early 2000s, but I dig it it's a great theme for the movie sort of like techno hip hop influence of it I I really like especially when he just like opens up his arms and people come by and you see the flashbacks of all the things that are being done in their past that's such a great visual way of showing off the superpower and especially how he shows restraint like the one guy who he touches and the girl who's like drunk on the bedroom and he's like hey Hey, you uh, You had too much to drink and then just closes the door. It looks like he's about to oh. come and open uh, and leave and just closes it. A perfect, understated way of just showing how slimy and awful that piece of shit is
1: <laughs> what a dirty, dirty fuck The thing about that too it, he sees all crime the rape, the drugs, the gun the the murder the you know everything with Samuel Jackson. I just think what a cool, cool power to have. Like you just gotta touch somebody. But also, how terrifying would it be?
2: I wouldn't want it. <laughs> I don't think I want it either to be honest. It's not cool. That's that's freaking terrifying. Like, I mean, do you really wanna know every evil in this world like that? I mean, it's I mean, just watching that, I mean there was just a sense of just I don't know, dirtiness, like, oh, you just wanna kinda take a shower after that
0: it gives you the ability to pretty much, like, pull up the, underneath the couch of our world, and it's like, oh, look here, all the horrible cockroaches and trash. Like, I, it's kind of like, it feels like almost the darker version of, kind of like the Superman power of, like, being able to hear everything at once, and you just realize, like, oh, shit, there's, I can just hear all the people who are, like, asking for help or desperate or in terror. Like, that. I always thought, like, especially, there, there's been, like, some of the better Superman movies I think have portrayed that moment in an interesting way where it's like, you can't save everybody. Even, especially for, like, a David Dunn, that's even worse where it's like, I really can't save everybody. Like, I'm strong and I can see, like, if you're being a dick or not, but also, I'm allergic to water, so there's a pretty big weakness I have at the same time. It's not kryptonite where it's hard to find. So, it's, it's fascinating. I, I really like how they portray that and especially when he ends up going barging in and saving those two girls. Um I think that's a great example of how the movie it's a superhero heroic moment, but it's dirty and he fucks up the whole time, like especially when he falls on the tarp on the pool and he just realizes, yeah. like, oh shit, I can't get out of this really well. Um I, I love that and even how simple, like his costume is a raincoat. That's yeah. genius. It's so simple.
2: <laughs> because of the, the guy uh that it was implied with the the drugs the date rape, the date rape and everything isn't that the same guy that led to the crime for um the situation of the of the ladies that he goes after because i remember he was touching and feeling all the all this different stuff going on but i wasn't sure i was confused was it the same guy that it led to the situation of that scene
0: no because the other guy is like the janitor who he okay, walks, okay. Who walks by. Yeah, yeah. The is the one who walk. He walks by and he realizes he's kidnapped people. Like, that's the weird thing. is like, that happens right after, one right after the other. But that's that's what we're kind of talking about where, like, David Dunn is in disbelief about like, oh God, this date rape, this is terrible. And then, oh, look, someone kidnapped some people. This is slightly more pressing, unfortunately. I have to probably deal with this first. That's it's what we're talking about where there's like, he's, he's so overwhelmed that, like, that's the big one. Where it's like, all right, uh, I'm going to take a break from seeing crime and just stop this one crime that I can potentially stop at this point. It's what we're talking about, like that sort of desperation of like this 40 year old dude is like just flung in head first and like, hey, here's all this bullshit you got to deal with. Like uh, pressure, like it's really relatable in this very dark,
1: disturbed way.
2: Right. Well, I, I got confused for a moment there when I had watched him like, wait, there's which one is this now? <laughs> so thanks for clarifying that.
1: How unnerving and how just creepily evil did they make the janitor? I like your house. Can I come in?
2: yeah that was kind of weird because the guy's like half opening his door no <laughs> you don't want to do that don't open the door at all <laughs>
1: yeah period
2: just don't open the
1: door I mean you have to a little bit yeah but don't half open it don't yeah. don't don't do that <laughs> yeah and then, you know now am I right that just the two girls survived the mom was like dead right yeah they mentioned that in the newspaper headlines her news like parents dead beer on her.
0: yeah oh man So once again, it's like, you all use, you save those two girls, but this is a terrible, awful situation. And I, I did find out that apparently he had originally written the, um, James McAvoy character from Split to be in this movie in some capacity. He didn't specify, but I wonder if Uh maybe that was sort of what he originally wanted the character to be, was the janitor character was going to be. Which makes sense given, you know, later on some of the reveals, we won't spoil everything for you, Whitney, given you haven't seen Split. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, which but, yeah. you should see it. I, think I you plan
2: on it. it. I plan yes. on it.
0: <laughs> I, I I definitely agree with that. Um, but it's also fascinating because I do also have some issues with Split in terms of like you mentioned how sort of the disabilities dealt with here. It kind of leans a bit more on that in Split, which I had some issue with, as opposed to I think it's much more deftly handled. Where the character of Elisha could have been a lot more of mean spirited character but he's so three-dimensional because he's this guy who has a disability he's treated this sort of bad luck car that he's gotten and become so bitter about it especially i love the scene at the comic book shop where the guy's just like yeah, hey man yeah, we yeah. got close and then the way he's just petulantly swing his leg left and right and all this other stuff it's a great example once again like sort of entitled geek culture just in a nutshell that fucking scene <laughs> where it's like no i'm not gonna <laughs> leave no, I'm not doing that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he dresses so fucking cool too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> like, Especially that
0: purple suit at the end, like damn, yes. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, like that trench coat that like when the sun hits it it's purple. You're like, Oh man, I want that coat.
2: <laughs> Definitely.
1: It's so cool. Like he dresses like a supervillain. They the thing is they spell it out for you. Almost right away, just from the way he looks, the way he's dressed, everything, you're like, yeah, he's a supervillain. But I, honestly, did any, either of you see the twist coming before it
2: happened? No.
0: Um, I was aware of the twist, but it was kind of like in the same way that I was aware of the twist of The Sixth Sense before I saw it, because I saw it years after everyone already spoiled all over the place uh-huh. in, like, parodies and shit. But that still didn't deflate how much interest I still had in the characters. I think that's the big strength of, like, an M. Night Shyamalan movie when the twists actually work authentically enough to the characters it doesn't really matter if you know them necessarily as much as like the journey getting there just supports that twist perfectly but Whitney I mean I'm curious as someone who wasn't aware of the twist did it just all click together perfectly for you when that big ending reveal happened
2: I think so. I think, you know, I was just kind of taking things in and watching it. It, My fiance, Jacob, who's all into films and does filmmaking as well. He was saying, like, do you want me to tell you? Because I think but you you probably don't want me to tell you about the stuff that goes on. Like, no, it's okay. I'll watch it. I'll find out on my own. (laughs) And sure enough, I just thought everything just kind of came full circle, obviously. And it's, I don't know what else to say other than I have twist. to agree. It, yes, yeah. there's a twist. It, I mean, it, it's exactly everything that you guys have pretty much said. Diabolical and it's messed up. Oh well, yeah, I
1: mean he's murdered how yeah. many people? I mean horrible, horrible. Like like a domestic terrorist, like you alluded to earlier, Thomas. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but I would say I would honestly say this is probably even though it's the second one, the last really good twist that Shyamalan had. Even though that kind of became a thing that he got known for, I'd say this is the last good one.
0: Well, I mean, some would argue maybe Split had the ultimate twist of, oh, hey, this movie the whole time, it connects to this other movie. Yeah. <laughs> I do love, when that when that happened in the in the theater scene, Split, I still remember, I think I was the only person that knew what that was. Because literally, the, the first word I heard after the ending of, like, when that movie officially ended was... Why the fuck was the diehard guy there? My sister literally texted me that, like, why the fuck is the diehard guy there? (laughs) And I have to, like, I I had to explain to so many, like, friends and family members, like, oh, that's from this other movie that he did, Unbreakable, if you probably didn't see that. Like, it's the one time where I could totally see why, like, those YouTube videos exist about, like, the ending of Blank Explained. Like, it's the one time it's like, yeah, that video needs to exist for most of the population who doesn't know what the fuck Unbreakable is. <laughs> yeah.
1: Especially because you got to figure Split came out, what, 2017? 2017. It, yes, yeah, there it was a lot of, like, younger people going to see it. And, you know, this movie came out 17 years prior. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's so funny to me. Why the fuck is <laughs> it <Millison? laughs> <laughs> I love that. You should have been like, I don't know, he just must... I don't like the movie. I don't even want me to tell you. It's the new
0: <laughs> Die Hard movie. He's John McClane.
2: Right. Well, it, It's just, you get people who are like a new audience that haven't seen Unbreakable, obviously. And then you get people that just, you know, they go for the sake of the interest in the cast or... Um, the director, the writer. Some people just do that. Well, I haven't watched this, but let's go see the the second one anyway. I haven't and have no clue. <laughs>
0: well, especially because Split was not advertised at all as an Unbreakable sequel. That was the big thing was that's just advertised as like, oh, this is the Split personality movie with uh, James McAvoy. That's just a horror movie, and then that ending happens, and those who know what it is, like, oh fuck, this is a like super villain origin story and then everyone else is like why the fuck is the diehard guy there? <laughs> so it's a it's yeah, a huge okay. mixed bag
1: <laughs> having a throwback in your own movie to your own movie from 17 years prior is a little ballsy dude
0: <laughs> oh extremely like, especially yeah. just on the one level split was produced by universal and this was a disney production that's crazy Unbreakable is a disney production it's a buena vista films so it's oh. disney owned yes oh uh disney fucking owns everything i swear to god so what so if you're going into glass thinking oh man this is totally a non-disney movie finally technically um they're releasing it um outside of domestic areas universal's doing the domestic release and disney's doing like any international release because they're like yeah sure let's get that china money
1: Uh, yeah we'll take the 400 million from china you guys can have the domestic Uh, yeah
2: they're smart (laughs) monopolizing
1: What? How? How
0: Name 15 (laughs) other things that they're releasing this year.
1: (laughs) I, for one, praise our Disney overlords.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But we're getting a bit off track, so let's go into our final thoughts, I guess, on Unbreakable. Whitney, our guest, go ahead and start.
2: My final thoughts on Unbreakable. Wow, it's just fantastic. I mean, I haven't seen um, anything so raw like this in a while, especially for the time that it was made. More advertised as like a... What drama, sci-fi, mystery, thriller
0: kind of thing? That's what thriller it is.
2: Kind of yeah. yeah. So I mean, for for what it is, you know, I think it could appeal to most audiences as far as you know that could really enjoy action and some drama and a little bit of a thrill. Uh, It did for me because I like to think I'm pretty open as far as, I I mean, I love horror, but I'll pretty much try to give anything a shot. It's intense. It's beautifully done, but also the dynamic between the family, Samuel L. Jackson's character, and the chemistry there with Bruce Willis. It's a good story, so I would definitely say whoever would be interested in, you know, that broad of a spectrum of uh, genres to kind of give it a shot.
1: Adam? I think this is probably his best movie I like The Sixth Sense. It's just, it's so played out for me. But I, I just, I, I, it's hard for me to find anything wrong with Unbreakable. Like, all of his other movies, I can pick out one or two things I have a, kind of an issue with. I, I really don't have any problems with Unbreakable. I think it's a solid, solid movie. It's a drama. It's a suspense. It's, I don't even look at it like a superhero origin movie. Because it doesn't feel like one at all. Um, I just think it's just a perfectly crafted movie. Soundtrack acting, the way it's shot, the cinematography, the muted color tones, everything. I just think it's just a perfectly thought film.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I would personally say it is my favorite. I still do love the sixth sense though. Not it's not just necessarily for the twist, but man, that fucking scene where Tony Collette just talks about like you make me proud every day, that like breaks me every time. Oh just... fuck you for breaking that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 but, oh, oh, I that's a... <laughs> While Adam's breaking down, I'll say that they're both genre pieces, but they're centered around people who feel authentically broken not to be punny with the title necessarily but they do feel like people that are in like a rough spot in their lives and things aren't going great so they've kind of retreated back into themselves with any of the characters that unbreakable uh, six Sense also has that and i think with his later movies Shyamalan tries to do that a lot we'll talk about that a bit in our next movie um but they always feel kind of a bit too alien as is the reason why they're broken how like this sort of complete degradation of their soul that's happened, like, doesn't feel nearly as authentic. as something like this, where all the characters you see where they're coming from, even if they're villains, you see why they've become that way, and why they have these negative impulses, and how that contrasts with our characters, who are dealt with, like, a negative hand against, like, a Sam Jackson who's dealt with that, and he decides to use it to guard people away and construct the world around his narrative, versus, you know, Bruce Willis has dealt with some shitty hands, and sees all these terrible things happening, but he's still wants to protect. He still wants to do something about that. You can tell how he just feels that impulse. Especially, like, we haven't mentioned much about the actual opening train crash thing, but that sequence where after he's told, like, you're the only survivor of this crash and you don't have a single scratch, and he sees all of those people who lost people in that train crash and how they're just, like, almost negative toward him like how dare you survive how why would you have no scratch while everyone else is dead all of our loved ones gone and you can tell that weighs on that dude the whole movie and he wants to protect people and this it almost feels like him becoming a superhero is the retribution for having all these other people die on this train and him not being able to do anything just because he didn't know it feels like a great sort of uncle ben dies moment for his superhero origin point and i i love that about he's got to earn it back he's got to
1: earn survival right yeah absolutely
0: Right, and even if you know from like what I implied earlier, the glasses end up working out that well. I can still at least say, Unbreakable works so perfectly as its own self-contained movie that um, just is. It's one of the better examples, especially of just a superhero movie not based on anything. Like you would, I would almost assume, like, oh, is this based on like some indie graphic novel that like fucking Vertigo or something put out that no one's aware of? No, it's a completely original story. And if anything, I would hope that more like the sort of love of like superhero movies that's been coming out gives us more chances to do smaller, intimate, original superhero stories at the same time. I would love to see that more as we venture forth into Avengers Fuck It, Everyone's Here.
1: Yeah, but they got that bright burn coming out. That looks like it could be cool.
0: I'm very excited for that. Yeah, the James Gunn yeah, produced... Yeah, that looks cool. Yes. That, that I one. would
1: argue Upgrade was sort of a superhero movie. I mean, yes. Yeah, uh, so, <laughs> I mean, they are coming.
0: But yeah, so uh, let's diverge from that train... Uh, to the space train with our next film,
1: After Earth. Son, this is not training. The threats we will be facing are real. Every single decision we make will be life or death. You must realize that fear is not real. Danger is very real, but fear
0: a choice. So, After Earth. Um, came out in 2013, May 31st, 2013. Uh, directed by M. Night. And interestingly, this is the first time he has had a co-writer for any of his directed films. Um, because he co-wrote this with Gary Whitta. Who's actually a pretty good, especially video game writer. He's written several, like, big popular a sort of video game and comic book stories um, but it's based on a story by the star Will Smith who produced this movie and it's interesting we ended up picking this because with the other M. Night movies it's kind of hard to like say diverge some blame away from him when he's like just writer, director, producer on most of them versus with this one um, it's clearly not just him there's obviously like, some of his bad impulses are there but it feels very much like a Will Smith vanity project for him and his son Jaden who star in this sci-fi story of a father and son that, uh... great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no. No, in effect, Will Smith, they, like, it's on record that he pretty much... He's the only one who would direct Jaden. Well, he's the star of the movie. <laughs> it's almost this whole movie. So did it is this like a Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg situation we got going on here? Because <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like, dude. It's just... Oh no! Uh. <laughs> the, uh.
0: well, well, you know what? Let's get a let's get a fresh perspective from Whitney, our guest, who like yeah. you, she hadn't seen this movie at all. You also hadn't Adam, but first, Whitney, oh. what did you think of After Earth?
2: Um. <laughs> so first of all, before I actually start expressing more on um my feelings on it, as far as well, I like to try to be open minded about films and stuff. and I went into it with an open mind. But every time I hear about Jaden Smith being in anything or his name at all, I think of the Impractical Jokers, because I'm a huge fan of that show. And Salvo Cano, that comedian, he has a tattoo of him. So every time I see Jaden Smith, I'm like, Salvo <laughs> Cano has a tattoo on his thigh. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I know that's really weird. But anyway, um, it's not a bad, bad movie. It's just some. it wouldn't be my first pick if... You know what I mean? It's okay. It's entertaining for what it was. And and I do have to agree. It does feel a little forced in the direction. And, of course, he's... uh... It's a father and son situation going on, and it's like it had some cringy moments, but there were some entertaining things that went on in some of the action displayed with creatures and extraterrestrials.
1: Very, very diplomatic, and I, I applaud you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, i with the weirdness, that's not uncommon given um, Jaden Smith's own sort of personal intriguingness. Uh, I mean, his Twitter account is one of my favorites with stuff like, Why can't we let trees be trees? <laughs> But Adam, I'm going to go into a bit more of yeah. your thoughts on After Earth.
1: Sure. All right. Well, I'm going to shit all over this thing. I'm going to tell you <laughs> that right now. First of all, the accents that they purposely went to a dialogue coach to learn this new dialect or accent, they wouldn't sound American or British because that wouldn't exist 4,000 years in the future, yada, yada, yada. Okay, I'll give you that. It does make sense. It is... So painful on the ears. First of all, I was convinced that's just how Jay sounds when he talks, like all the whole time. Like, this kid's just got a weird voice. Then once Will Smith tried started firing it out there, I'm like, wait a minute, am I just what is going on? And then what? Like, <laughs> just the whole. Thing, ah, oh, <laughs> the CGI was like one render away from being really like decent in a lot of scenes. Just Jaden Smith. Man, <laughs> like all right i'll give you the pursuit of happiness a uh, way better will smith jane smith vehicle even the karate kid all right jane smith not too bad he's young he's cute in this i'm like dude i just want to like nah <laughs> like, like i just can't he falls down and cries and scared the whole movie the whole play, like all the time.
0: Well, no, my that's the thing is watching. I remember because I actually watched this theatrically. I was one of the few oh. that did that. Um, that was it was an interesting experience because I was I was hoping for like a happening bad situation. There are a couple moments of that I do want to get into, but mostly like at that time I was very much like just dogging on Jaden Smith because it was another it was a popular thing to do. It was just oh man, Jaden. It's just like he, nepotism bullshit. Now watching it this time, I just feel so bad for this kid. <laughs> like, th- it's like watching a whole feature film Of, like, a kid doing their first, like, JCPenney photos for Christmas And they're crying and they don't want to be there It's a feature-length version of that Because <laughs> this kid, is, like, the whole thing is that Jane is supposed to sort of have an arc I want to be a ranger, which is just, like, this hierarchy and this weird sci-fi universe that's poorly sort of explained That basically, like, I want to be a ranger, I want to be a soldier I want to be, like, my dad and the whole movie, it's supposed to be about him, like, no, you're supposed to eventually get to this point where you are, like, your dad. You can achieve this, like, sort of equal level. Your father, you're going to ghost, which is the whole idea of, like, f- eliminating fear so that you can perceive danger and attack it. Which, one thing, I don't care if it's, like, 4,000 years in the future. That just sounds like some weird pyramid scheme cult shit to me. Because, no, you embrace <laughs> fear and then you f- use that to fight against danger. It's just like a natural human. It's just like, it really distances you from this universe.
1: No, yeah, dude. I, I,
0: oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Can you put a coherent thought together or do we need to take a break from that?
1: (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't know. This movie, it would hurt. Like, it's about 90 minutes or so. It feels like an well over two hours. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a slog to get through parts of this movie. And then you got like, a couple really good actors in it that they do nothing with. Or were cut out in the final. Like, you know, Roy from The Office is sitting back there. Isabel Furman's in it. They're nowhere.
0: No, not really. Zoe Kravitz keeps showing up in very awkward scenes also that I think just another side of this is the fact that this is such a weird bandy project for Will Smith, yet the whole thing of like him being this sort of very distant father who's in the military, like, I can't relate to my children. I'm so distant and off... And they keep showing these, like, flashbacks where Zocrab is like, oh, hey, look, I got Moby Dick this book, and they allow me to hang on to it. He's like, what does hang on mean? What is this? Like, this... It's such weird miscasting, because it's like, Will Smith would know what hang on is. He isn't a fucking robot. Is the twisty he's... He's a robot?
1: <laughs> nah, dude, he's the Fresh Prince. Like, he's got it. <laughs> like, he's easy to do it. And, and, dude, he's so wooden in this movie. Like you said, he, he comes off... Incredibly robot, like you must turn around. You've exhausted your resources. We are going to die. Like, holy shit! (laughs) Like, dude,
0: relax. And it seems like structurally they're trying to say the idea, like, oh no, this is him learning a lesson. This is him, like, he's going to learn from this and do something. You know, like he's going to become a more attentive father. But really, the movie is just kind of trying to prove, like, no, he's right because Jaden ghosts and he doesn't embrace fear at all. So he was right the whole time.
1: Yeah. Through this, he'll learn to love once again sort of deal. I'm like, oh, my God.
0: I'm not sure. But, you know, what? we keep dogging. Whitney, what were some of the things that you sort of mentioned that, like, you really enjoyed about the movie, some of the set pieces and action bits and some of the other stuff that you were referring to earlier?
2: Well, let me think for a moment. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to go back and think for a moment. Well, okay, so I know this is really... Um, the creature-wise, the creatures, when you think about, you know what would earth be, you know, after everything is like kind of shattered and torn apart from some extraterrestrial or other life form. And you kind of think about maybe animals like overpopulating or not, or underpopulating or whatever. And so I thought, okay, that was a really random situation where I see baboons coming out and then later and they're chasing after him. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is something, you know, this is wildlife is something to definitely be terrified of because I mean personally I live out um, by some woods. Like my home is almost in the middle of nowhere. I'm like and I'm kind of checking for like oh coyotes or whatever. And like okay I can kind of (laughs) relate but getting off track. I'm sorry. But no I thought it was really neat to see, you know, the chasing and stuff running away from some of these creatures and the fact of I don't I don't know how I feel about the design of the, the alien itself but um just knowing very that
1: cloverfield looking yeah. alien wasn't it yeah, yeah. The or whatever
2: it was sort of generic in a sense but and predictable as to how it would react also going back to the baboon sequence i'm an animal lover i love animals but as a makeup artist that was the first time in a while that i have seen animals being torn apart like laid there. And I thought, okay, that's kind of different and interesting because usually you see like mostly humans just desecrated and dismembered, but I just thought, huh, that's different. We don't often see animals like that. I had... are, you,
1: are you referring to, like, the hyena lion things that killed yeah. the the baby birds? Yeah, that was kind of effed up. I'll give you yeah. that.
2: <laughs> I mean, seeing just nature being nature and brutal, you know, in in an atmosphere like I could respect in a sense.
0: The versions of these animals that we're familiar with, they do feel like they're just, like, larger versions of these creatures. It feels like since humanity's left, it's allowed the sort of nature to thrive in their own way um, after we completely wrecked the place. Um, but I still feel at the same time, especially with, like, sort of the environment, it does feel very unimaginative after we have sort of like the space sequences mm-hmm. it just feel like we're trying to like just go oh, we're in the woods and it doesn't feel like there's much of the ravages of time really than, mm-hmm. uh, like what we left behind kind of destroying the world the kind of thing like say in um recently the movie annihilation which is one of my favorite movies from last year i love how that movie depicted sort of a world where humanity was kind of absent but the creatures all around are mutated, but they're able to, like, still survive around it. I almost wish it kind of had that more of an aesthetic to it, especially when we kind of build up to, like you mentioned, the alien creature that he has to ghost around at the end. Um, quite frankly, it kind of looks like if the Cloverfield monster, like, died in a river, and it was really bloated, and it like, yeah, came back yeah. up as a zombie. <laughs> it's kind of what it looks like. And it's, it's a disappointing note, especially for the movie to end on, that this is our big, bad creature. It's very generic, it's kind of awkward, especially... Not helped by, you know, Jane Smith having to run around it. Um, you know, something positive I will say, I did like the cinematography, and I found this out that the cinematographer is um, Peter uh, Shusky, um, who has uh, been the cinematographer for stuff like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Empire Strikes Back. Oh, and I will shit. say, any of the good-looking shots of the movie, I will very much credit to him, because there are, like, certain things where, especially just, like, Jaden stuck in the middle of the woods, and you kind of feel the enormity of it, or even sort of the shot that they sold the movie on and the one that we weirdly start with and then we push back to like him in the middle of the forest and then we go to the start of the story which is weird the cold opening thing but the shot where like Will Smith is trying to get him to breathe and then he gets up getting sucked through the air vent as like the ship breaks apart that is actually a very well done shot and you actually kind of feel the sort of enormity of this just pressure coming through and this just- desecrating him
1: we needed to f- put all his weight and fall on his chest on that needle that was pretty hardcore too. <laughs> yeah, <that's true>. yeah. <laughs> like, that was pretty i'm like oh
0: shit.
2: well prior to that to see how rapid how things were changing for him because of the the toxic stuff from that uh i don't know what that thing was that bit like him leech, leech- uh, yeah uh. So, I mean, just seeing how rapid that was getting to him prior to that, that was just really crazy. And I'm seeing his face and everything swell. And then he says, I can't see. My hands are, I can't feel. And and then he's being stubborn, but he's panicking. And I guess it would be natural for a father to be like, well, you do this, do that. And you got to fall. You got to, I don't
1: know. Once One thing he says to him, I don't know if he was trying to encourage me, if you die, I die. I'm like, no. Yeah. Oh.
2: <laughs> Take
3: it
1: easy. <laughs> Jesus. <Yes. laughs> well, especially, it doesn't help that
0: ha- most of Will Smith's dialogue, especially when he's talking to his son, is screaming his name. And it doesn't help that his name's kind of stupid, and so it's his. Kata! Oh, Take Katah. a knee! Kata! Like, Take he says a it, knee.
1: <laughs> like, Kata just... and cipher. Cipher oh. rage. Cipher rage. This whole... So basically, in the future, 4,000 years from now, we're all going to have, like, D bag Akira names, <laughs> just, a, just a bunch of shitty beyond Tokyo bikers. That's gonna be our names, or like fuckers from the Matrix. That's not yeah. like oh my god.
0: Or or my personal, my favorite sort of funny bad moment of the movie is early on when he's at the dinner table and Jane's trying to leave. He's like, "Are you telling me or are you asking?" It's like, "Can I please leave the <laughs> I love that.
1: <laughs> and then they ended on like one of the cheesy. I mean. I want to work with mom.
2: Oh, I remember that.
0: (laughs) 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 It would would feel so natural if we started just hearing the full house theme, just as that's like leaving, just everywhere you look. Oh, Jaden. Silly. Oh, got him.
1: It's so
0: bad. But, But can you go into a bit more detail, Adam, since you've been just flabbergasted for most of this?
1: Okay. Obviously, this is just a bloated mess of a script. And, you know, doing the research. It was originally written as just father and son, car crash in the mountains. That was it. Will Smith decided to just blow the budget out of control and it a big sci-fi epic, which it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and it, it's saddled by just a terrible lead performance from both of them. I mean, this is the worst Will Smith has ever been in a movie. I mean, without, without a doubt. It's just it's a terrible performance. the The CGI doesn't really hold up. There, some of the creature design does work, especially when it's just the more evolved creatures we already know. the uh, The ursus stupid. Like you said, it looks like a bloated clover or like slimer wearing a suit. Like I, I don't know what the hell they were doing, and and just. Dude, he lays down so much in this movie. <laughs> jay Smith is just constantly taking a break. You gotta tell him to take a knee. I don't know why. That's all he does the whole goddamn movie. Like, he's constantly just resting or laying down. Or, you know, he doesn't listen whatsoever. No. tied to stand out.
2: Get away from me! It feels a rock.
0: Do you feel that in your suit? I like it, but I think it's something bad. Also funny. <laughs> oh, God.
2: Um, could you guys explain to me why he was apprehensive to show... Uh, his father, the th- oh, I can't even remember the name of it. You're but w- yes, dude, why, why hide that? What, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, are you just he can't do anything to you? You're just gonna be, you're just gonna die. Why be so scared to show him what? that's on you anyway
1: and you haven't listened to him the whole damn movie anyway so what's it gonna matter? I need you to turn around well that's not
0: gonna happen what they're trying to do I think is through the flashbacks with Zoe Kravitz's character where he's a sister that ended up dying at the hands of one of these creatures that invaded their home they're trying to portray the idea that he doesn't want to show weakness I guess is what they're trying to portray because it's like oh no I showed weakness and I hid and then ended up causing my sister to die and so now I'm not going to end up doing that and once again you would figure that that is going to be Will Smith's like oh my god you know what my son is afraid to show any weakness and that has made him so much more like inward and completely distant from me I should change that once again no the movie is no, proving right. him right the whole time because like even oh, exactly. like we, we keep making fun of like these like smaller weird things that happen and all that other shit but when structurally the whole point is like it's a father son story where these two are supposed to come together and it gets distracted by all the sci-fi stuff and the big ultimate point is well uh, all that horrible shit that dad put me through he was right end of movie <laughs> like, what?
1: now I want to go work with mom <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, It just feels like, even on that core structural level, do you agree with that, especially compared to our father and son relationship in the previous movie, Whitney?
2: Oh my gosh. I don't even know if I can really compare. (laughs) See, okay. (laughs) The thing is, okay, going back and looking to the previous film and that relationship, that, like I said, it felt raw. It felt real that was genuine in a sense a a kid will test their father like in the previous one and then the father will try to either relate or teach a lesson but this back and forth in this one constantly i mean it's like the kid just doesn't learn like i mean he's the lessons are there and he's he's given these tasks but he just takes so many breaks i mean honestly if that was my dad he'd be like get up like or he would try to relate pep talk and then go pep talk and then go, and then you know, but no, there was just it was just really frustrating. Their chemistry, it just, it just wasn't really that genuine and
1: Which is crazy because they're father and son
2: exactly. Afraid. You would think that's what drove me nuts, and that what made me cringe was the fact of that. I'm like, you guys are blood, you are related. You this should be natural, this doesn't feel natural. <laughs>
0: No, well, to be fair, when you see Will, like Jaden in, in real life and he's doing stuff like going to a wedding with everybody and he's wearing a white Batman suit, which really <laughs> happened... Um, that's a, re- there are photos, there's a music video he did in that suit. <laughs> it's, it's oh kid, my gosh. That kid
1: is such a boss. He just
0: doesn't care. <laughs> well, I mean, because it's, it's that weird thing where, like, I don't want to obviously judge about Jada and Will's parenting style, but you can kind of notice that, like, he kind of just acted out, and in a way, obviously when, you know, you're a teenager, you act out all the time, but the problem is, you don't have Will Smith supporting you as a dad money to do mm. stupid shit like that. <laughs> or mm-hmm. in this case have him like make the star vehicle for you that like I said it just feels like this kid the entire movie is completely lost and the point is that he is lost at a certain point but he kind of gains confidence but I never really believe the confidence when we have our big moment where he defeats the big alien creature and honestly when you were talking about this because like the Adam earlier about the basic original concept was it was going to be um, father and son are like off on a camping trip, and the the father ends up getting you know hurt, and so the son has to go and like try and find help in the middle of the woods. I really wish they would have just stuck to that simple, more basic survival thriller. We would have probably made this a thousand times better instead of building up a very generic bad sci fi mythology that you don't really get a sense of and don't give a shit
1: about. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't. I I could care less about anything that happened in this movie, like. <laughs> I was watching it with my wife, and she's like, oh, man, he, you know, he's only got two of those things up. He's probably going to die. I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take man. your word for it. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Will Smith's got a critical injury. Oh, he's bleeding, and he's got an arterial rip. Man, okay. You got die, right? Well, well, that's them, the bricks. You know, that's <laughs> life in the city. No, I, I just I don't care about this movie at all. I didn't care about the story. I didn't I never once felt, felt that the father-son relationship was at all genuine. I, I just, and that's the whole crux of the movie. And if you can't get behind that, then hey, it's, you know, what's the point?
0: I guess we can just make that your final thoughts, basically. <laughs> Adam, I don't know <laughs> if you have <laughs> much.
1: Yeah, no, I got nothing else. The rest right. of it's just going to be going,
2: ah, just fucking,
0: ah, oh.
1: <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> to save us from that, Whitney, go ahead and do your final thoughts about After Earth.
2: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like to try to be nice. So so this is kind of, I mean, I like to be nice with my opinions. However, there's no other way to really say, I feel like if you, you know, if you really like visuals more over story, and I guess some are more into spoon fed kind of films. I mean, you you might enjoy it, but for me, it just doesn't really do anything for me. I went into it with an open mind. Like I said, Um, some of the effects were pretty cool. But the acting was just cringeworthy for me. I, I hate to say that, but I I wanted to like it. But that's that's all I have to say about it.
0: <laughs> As Adam mentioned, very diplomatic. We respect that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't get a lot of diplomacy on the show for our bad films. Um, and I, I can at least say that with M Night, like I mentioned, M Night became an easy target. This is not long after Last Airbender. That is probably his worst movie. I think we can kind of mutually agree on that. Yeah, cause that, I agree. Cause, especially because that one is also a slog, but it's also wasting such great source material. With an After Earth, I think on paper you could see where this could potentially work, especially that basic core concept of father-son survival story, and the son has to take a, more of the lead since the father's injured. On paper, that's a great concept. That, that would work well. But when you dress it in the sci-fi atmosphere that might be shot well and might have a few good special effects moments, Um, And it feels just very cold and distant and the characters are equally that way and don't really have much of an interesting arc at the same time that's going on from point A, B to C. Um, That just means on a structural level, the movie kind of fails. And for that, that's why After Earth is just, especially considering all the stuff with like Will Smith and Jaden, as you mentioned, these, you know, father and son feeling so alien and disconnected from each other. It's so odd to watch and Will Smith is completely miscast and very just sort of cold and cruel Especially there's a bit where, in the flashback, Zoe Kravitz is like, Oh, hey, Dad, it's my birthday cake. Blow out the candles. And he's like, you know there's no way I can do that through this iPad thing that we're doing this month." <laughs> so, Motherfucker, humor your daughter. <laughs> like, just yeah. a bit. Come on. And and then, like I said, instead of having him progress from that, he's like, Well, I was proven right, son. You're awesome now. Because you're like me. That It just... It, at least that's what it ends up looking like that might not be what it was trying to portray but in translation through M. Night and Gary Whitta and Will Smith's production stuff and all this other mess it just ends up being this very sort of cold and boring, disappointing just bleh movie that uh, has rightly been forgotten and now James Smith's doing music and he's much better at that than he ever was at acting uh, hey, I know.
1: not well, hold on though hold on, that's a stretch
0: <laughs> much better in that I like at least the song that he did on the Spider-Verse uh, soundtrack
1: <laughs> okay I guess. And I, you know what I,
0: I will give him also I did like to actually like him on the short-lived Netflix series The Get Down where he plays sort of like this weird kid where he's cast perfectly as a kid who says weird random things and all the characters like what the fuck does that mean
1: perfect so casting Al better actor than a musician huh? huh what are you gonna go with time will tell
2: Um. (laughs) It's really hard to make fun of some that are growing in the industry because not only you're trying to really, you know, uh, go through the struggle of being a teenager, but you're going through like self-discovery and then you have acting on top of that. So creativity and that, you know. And
0: and also, by the way, hey, uh, you're going to go into acting and your dad's Will Smith one of the biggest stars (laughs) right (laughs) you're ready
1: to grow up in the public (laughs) eye right and not to mention
0: he's also and your father's like hey I got you a birthday present it's a movie starring you and me (laughs) let's go (laughs) but anyway that is the end of our discussion on both the movies here for the M. Night channel on episode and we got some feedback to read a lot of feedback where we asked all of you via the Facebook and Twitter page which is at DEDVpod about your favorite and least favorite M. Night movies and we got a lot of responses so we'll go through them real quick and then we'll talk about them briefly uh, Jonathan habden previous guest on the show, says, Unbreakable is my favorite M. Night movie um, and had, was relatively untouched by the critical scrutiny his other films faced. An alternate take on the superhero, Origin, released nearly a decade too early. As Split and now Glass Show, it's it's one M. Night film that has the most potential for more stories, but it also has the more credibility to lose with having such late sequels. The Last Airbender was so bad I had to defend the quality of the animated series for years. Uh, Dan Chambers also a previous guest says I liked Lady in the Water previous guest Lance Langford says uh, not popular but my favorite is The Village also it was a favorite film of my son-in-law who passed away a few years back that might color my decision least faves easily the happening I took my son to see it in the theaters we're both like what the fuck what a twist indeed Indeed. Um, Brian Stitcher, also of The Horror Returns, says, uh, My favorite would be Unbreakable and Least would be The Happening. Barrett Vasselchick says, Mine would have to be The Visit. It's my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. It's supposed to be scary, but it's hilarious. Um, James Rodriguez says a film which has lost none of its power 20 years on The Sixth Sense is an engrossing piece of horror which gets under one's skin and provides uh, so many touching moments throughout it's unbelievable it was from the same director as The Last Airbender a rushed bastardization of one of the best recent TV series lacking the emotional impact and wonderful character work to resemble something so inept and joyless Brian Kane says, "My favorite would be Signs. I love his ability to take a schlocky premise and make it palpable for a large audience. He's also terrific at framing indoor shots, especially in Split. He could use some more help with the writing, though." Uh, Rachel Hillis says, "I love Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and I have a soft spot for Devil. But I hated the Happening, and I also did like Split far more than I expected." Um, the Burnt Tongues Media podcast at Burnt Tongues M on Twitter says Unbreakable was their favorite. Um, T who is at T underscore T says, absolutely brilliant filmmaker. My faves are unbreakable. Six cents signs split. Amazing. And then Oliver Sloan had a long feedback that we, we do appreciate Oliver. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing here but I just wanted to read some brief things here. He says, As a creative, his films always have a spiritual depth that gets overlooked. And that's one of the things I love about his work. Other times he's just freaking lazy, predictable, mundane. He always um, has great elements in all of his films. Um, Just some brief things. He likes Lady in the Water, um, which he feels is underrated. He thought Signs was his best content-wise for how it talks about faith. Unbreakable, he considers the superhero origin movie. Um, And Split, the follow-up to Unbreakable that almost succeeds it, um after earth i want to read in full what he said about this because it's interesting um not really a sci-fi story but an examination on the relationship between fathers and sons how as men we have expectations forced upon us by our fathers and we how we fail until we find our own strengths trying to exceed or even match our fathers is not easy and wide awake the movie we talked about earlier he says it's a great small film about family dealing with death and loss In terms of the ones he dislikes, he actually says, The Sixth Sense is overrated and predictable. He says, The Last Airbender was a total clusterfuck. He said, The Village was an absolute waste of time, money, and life force. Uh, The Happening as a kind of hippie eco-thriller that on repeated watches tries so hard to be serious but fails. And The Visit, he says, "Uh, What should have been a nice, small, creepy, familial horror film becomes something predictable, expected, and vapid, with a few fright jumps and the usual twists. That's a lot guys. Um, do we well, have any thoughts and comments
1: about all this? I mean, lady in the water, Dan. nobody likes Lady in the Water. at least I don't think so. I haven't even seen it and I'm saying that. <laughs> so I guess I can't really judge him on it. That's the thing. If anything we've noticed from this feedback, uh, it seems to be the standout's unbreakable. Mm-hmm. but um, it's real, sort of split, I mean. Eh, <laughs> eh, <laughs> eh, eh, eh. Uh, hey. No, I mean it's it's crazy, really. You know, everybody likes different ones for different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, Whitney, what would be, what is your favorite Shyamalan movie?
2: Well, it's hard. Okay, so I forgot that he did the visit. I really enjoyed that one, but I guess my favorite would have to be Sixth Sense. I mean, that's probably the popular choice, but I, that's the first one that genuinely scared the crap out of me. But the visit, I thought was pretty crazy considering the circumstances of what they thought they were visiting their grandparents and turns out they weren't their grandparents. I just thought, what the hell is this? This is scary anyway. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I thought that one was pretty good and I'm sorry, I just spoiled it forever, didn't see it. That so- would be me. Whoops! I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't care. I don't I could
1: care. Less.
2: <laughs> but no, I, I enjoyed that one. I, I have to say, I genuinely enjoyed that one. And yes, Six Sense is overall, I guess I'd have to say, a favorite. But new favorite, I guess, Unbreakable. So I would have to put that on the list now. Oh, great! It's great that we
0: introduced you to this wonderful film. You mentioned Signs earlier, and I do give credit. I think Signs is two thirds of a really good movie. I, I did I...
2: enjoy that one.
0: Yes, I, I do, I really love a lot of, like, the interpersonal stuff with Walking um, Phoenix and Mel Gibson. Um, a great jump scare, I do agree, the one where he's looking at the footage of the alien that's
1: in Mexico. Yeah, fantastic.
0: It's a great bit, um, especially, if nothing else, for Walking Phoenix talking to the TV and saying, Children, vamonos! <laughs>
2: yes, well, and that's the thing, that's the thing about that one, is, you know, not only did it have its tense moments, but I'll never forget how comical it was, you know, just, you, it, it was... You know, meant to be able to scare the audience some, but I I loved the chemistry among the cast, and you know, Joaquin Phoenix and the kids, and the one moment you're seeing that they have those foil things on their heads, and (laughs) you you just laugh at some of these scenes with them, like it's how
1: ridiculously adorable Abigail Breslin is in it.
2: yes. Yes. I don't want the water, there's amoeba's in it. <laughs> <laughs> this water tastes contaminated or
0: something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what I like about that is like it, it's definitely it's a family who's faced with like, oh shit, this is like earth shattering events and they're like, How do we protect ourselves? Uh foil? Uh
1: bats? I guess? Yeah.
0: Like especially and water water
1: yeah. that's where the movie loses it.
0: Well, I mean, honest. admittedly, because the difference between, as opposed to, like, a David Dunn discovering, they're like, oh, wait, yeah, water is really my weakness, versus aliens who come down to a plant that's mostly water, it's been discussed many times, but yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> it's it's a lame way of kind of d- resolving that arc for the aliens, but at the same time, I do still think that the stuff with the characters actually still progresses pretty well. Especially, like, Mel Gibson <laughs> losing his faith and all that, I would honestly say... Say what you will about the man and how much of a piece of shit he might be in real life. Um, it, that was probably like the last really good Mel Gibson performance,
1: I'd say. Yeah, no, I agree, absolutely. Yeah. Like check little... out Daddy's Home too.
0: <laughs> Everyone's favorite Adam. <laughs> also, in, in the sort of inverse way, I think um, the Village. I really love the first third of the Village. I think any, when it's focusing on Walking Things as the main character, I'm really intrigued with that movie. And then the moment he dies, I progressively stop giving less and less of a shit until that yeah. lame twist happens. And I think that's an example of where like the twist kind of was really weighing on him as a sort of writer and creative. Where it's like, oh, I have to subvert your expectations. Like, look, Walking the Phoenix is gone. Yeah, you didn't expect that, your main character. Oh, great, so you're going to lead this and make like the new character interesting? Here's Bryce Dallas Howard, and she's blind. Here you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I
1: agree with that.
0: The happening is fucking fun though. It's terrible. But I love watching the happening. It is I mean, seminal fun bad cinema to me.
1: Mark Wahlberg talking to that plant is like one of the funniest things in the world.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> either either that or oh Blackwater, keep on rolling when he said sing to the guys <laughs> who
2: I vaguely remember I, I haven't sat through the whole film, so
1: I don't blame you. <laughs> I honestly, no, I honestly can't blame you. It's it's really hard to get through. I've only seen it one time. I've never tried to watch it again. And I don't know that I ever even will try to watch it again. It's it's pretty bad.
0: Uh, my back pocket's getting full from all these movies I might pick at some point. <laughs> Fuck it. I still remember, I'll never forget the theatrical experience of seeing The Happening. Because my father, at that point, was a huge M. Night fan. And he didn't care about the haters. He's like, no, The Village is great. Lady Waters is great can't wait for the happening i'm so excited and he came out so dejected with being out of the theater i was having fun and just the look on his face of just crushing disappointment like I, like how did that happen and then leading to i remember later we ended up watching last airbender because he rented like no, you know what the happening wasn't good this is still gonna be good and there's a moment in the last airbender where they're talking about um the one character's talking about, oh, I'm gonna become, like, a moon spirit and go up into the sky when I die. And there's just a pause, and, like, we haven't said anything in the whole movie. And then he just, like, gets out from his recliner and just says, what is this bullshit? And then he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> he just left. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll just watch the rest of the movie. It's terrible. But, you yeah, know, we rented it, I guess. Um, and you know what? With The Last Airbender, that was the show that was on when I was younger, but I never actually watched the show. I had a weird adverse reaction to most like action sort of themed shows but i remember watching the last airbender and being like okay all my friends talk about how great the show is and it has to be considering how terrible this movie is i'm gonna watch it and i did and that's a great show and they were all right
1: oh yeah it's a fantastic show dude yeah even the spinoffs and everything else it's a great show
0: how do you feel about them doing a live action remake for netflix with the original creators behind it
1: i feel like it shouldn't be done just do another series
0: Con- considering especially that like legend of Korra works so well and that was like several generations later just do another one where it's like several generations yep. after that see how the world's progressed but i don't want to really go
1: back with that you nope me neither
0: Thank you all for your feedback, and thank a few other people. We want to thank Chris Oliver for the music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. And thanks to Emily Scarda for her art that she does for the show. See, she accepts commissions at 502 com slash scarda. And of course, we want to thank our lovely guest, Whitney. Whitney, do you have anything to plug? Anything out on the internets and other places?
2: So if anyone wants to find me or follow my art or makeup, they can find my uh, my art. Instagram is and or, and also you can find me on Facebook. You can just find me at Whitney M. Collazo or Collazo. In English or in Spanish, I don't care, however you want to pronounce it, but you can easily find me on social media. Um, and also, if you're into looking into some of the stuff that I do as far as film stuff, my new Facebook page for a horror short that... I'm, i've been kind of promoting and circulating around is uh grus from krampus it's uh, spelled g-r-u-s-s-v-o-m-m krampus thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it and it's been fun <laughs>
0: absolutely absolutely it's been a lot of fun yeah and i've seen like the art and stuff for the krampus thing and especially there's a lot of krampus movies out there and uh, i especially like the look of the krampus from what i've seen on that page it's uh pretty
1: incredible
2: oh thank you yeah
1: i agree <laughs> And is that Jacob?
2: Yes, it is Jacob. Jacob is the Krampus guy, yeah. That's why um,
1: so good. That's why he yeah. looks so good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's uh, he's my uh, lab rat for makeup effects before going and working on to other projects sometimes. And we collaborate a lot, as you can see, when you follow um, and check out some of my stuff.
0: I mean, being a lab rat is what you really want in a partner, in any case. Right. That's so what we all absolutely. really want. <laughs> but, uh, we also encourage you to find us on Twitter at D E D B pod. That's also the Facebook page where we put out our feelers every Monday, uh, for the favorite, least favorite thing. So we can shout out you on the show. Um, and we also have an email. You can send feedback to double edge, double bill at com, All spelled out. I also have an individual account at not the who's Tommy, um, where I'll post my little words and phrases and then also i'll do writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com and you'll find adam in the middle of a crowd with a raincoat on unfurling his arms
1: yep 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 i do not do the social medias except for facebook i'm on facebook you can find me i'm easy to find well no maybe not my name's pretty common it's what are you talking about red. adam thomas is so specific <laughs> yeah yeah that's a pretty white red waspy name
0: And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us to give the show more visibility. We're also on Spotify and the Podbean app, all over the place on there. And before we leave, we have to do our picking for next week. So every week at the end of the show, we each have two movies based around a topic. Our topic for next week, in honor of Star Trek Discovery, coming back to the CBS app, is Star Trek movies. Uh, which Adam and I are mainly familiar with through the films, this whole universe. We're not yeah. really Trekkers or Trekkies, whatever it is.
1: No, I've seen all the movies, but mm-hmm. I have—I don't think I've ever watched a complete season of any of the shows. A couple smattering of episodes here and there, but I've never never seen a complete series. Like, I couldn't tell you a lot.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm in a similar boat where, especially... I've seen of episodes I've seen, especially Star Trek The Next Generation. It was just What I watched when I was waiting for The Simpsons to come on syndication as a child, (laughs) like it was that Frasier and Friends were like the shows. I'm like, all right, The Simpsons isn't on yet. I'll watch this. But Whitney, are you yourself a Trekker, trekking
2: Well, to be honest, I have to say I'm not really a Trekkie. Don't have a lot of knowledge about Star Trek. With the exception of my makeup mentors, Dean and Star Jones, they have actually worked on Deep Space Nine. I'm somewhat familiar with that.
0: Each of us have two movies that the other doesn't know about beyond that topic. Adam has the two good movies, and I have the two bad movies. And uh, usually we would pick a number between 1 and 10 ourselves and that whatever one gets closest to the numbers we've assigned our individual movies ends up being our good and our bad pick but when we have a guest like the lovely Whitney here she will get to go ahead and pick a number between one and ten for both of us and decide our fates for next week so for Adam's two good choices Whitney number between one and ten.
1: Three. at number two I had it assigned the movie that was number two Star Trek the Wrath of Khan oh great awesome yeah, yeah that's wow. a good one we're we're going predictable, but I'm fine with that. Great! Yeah, Awesome. why not? Yeah, sure. Sure. (laughs) My other choice was Star Trek Nemesis.
0: That one has been a bit divisive. I hear a lot of negative things about that one as well, Nemesis.
1: Tom Hardy's fantastic in it. That's why I
0: picked it. Is he Venom-level fantastic at (laughs) him?
1: Uh, uh yeah better i
2: would say
0: <laughs> let's go with that all right but now for my yeah. two bad picks whitney number between one and ten. Five. all right then at number four i had um another one with a few familiar faces uh that will be in wrath of khan as well i have 1994's star trek generations Oh fuck! (laughs) Oh god! Which saw the new and old Uh, casts combined together. Oh,
1: it's like it's like nine years long too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! I mean, you might not
0: have. Maybe it's a bit better that we didn't have my other choice, which is at number ten. I had Star Trek Into Darkness.
1: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's like another one. God, which one of my kids do I like? What's my Sophie's choice here? Uh. In- indeed.
0: Um, but uh, thank you, Whitney, for helping us with picking that and assigning and sealing our fates for
2: next week. Well, thanks. I don't know if I did any good. nope the- <laughs> that was exactly what you're supposed
0: to do. Yeah, yes. just pick numbers. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's yeah. not rocket science.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's... No, I mean, good luck. <laughs> yes,
0: thanks. as as we boldly go where many fans have gone before. Good night, everybody.
1: Bye. Good night.